0: Um, I want to invite you all to turn in your Bibles to Hosea six, and it's okay if you have to use your table of contents to get there. Um, I don't know if Hosea is a book you've spent a lot of time in, but uh, it might be kind of hard to find because it's not too big. But Hosea six, we're gonna, um, we're actually gonna spend two weeks together in Hosea six um, this week and next week, and uh, and then we are gonna jump into our series in First Thessalonians that will take us through the summer and uh, walk uh chapter by chapter through that um and learning about getting back to the the basics of of christian hope and christian mission is coming first um i'm i'm gonna just share weeks from hosea 6 because it's something that god has been uh working in my heart and i wanted to uh, have an opportunity to to share that with you all um speaking of 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 strange years, right? We've we've all have plenty of stories as we emerge from uh, what we've just walked through together. And my story is no more significant uh, than anyone else's. But um, I want to share a few things that God is doing in my heart because, um, a, because I-, I love you all. You're my friends, and I want you to know more about what God's doing in my life. And um, more more than that, I want to invite you to learn alongside me as the Lord as the Lord leads. And so um, I will tell you just a little bit more, uh, I'm going to talk a little more personally than, or for a little longer than I typically would, and I apologize for that, but uh, I have the microphone and you're in a pew, so (laughs) I guess that's just the way it works. Um, But uh, skipping a lot of details, um, you know, I've, I guess to summarize, I would say I've, I have walked through a um, a season of, of profound weakness um, over the past several months, and that's not entirely unfamiliar to me. Um, I think actually weakness is probably my greatest strength, um, but this has been a season where I have felt so weak and so unable to even sometimes get up and do something that I'm supposed to do, and um, and so, as I would say, kind of as the as 2020 came to a close and we moved into the new year, um, I was aware of being tired. I was aware of being tired. I was aware. I, I felt like all of my efforts were futile, whether it was in um, in my home discipling my my children, uh, whether it was in church responsibilities. Um, I just felt like all my efforts were weak and they were futile. And it was. I grew discouraged. I grew tired. I just felt out of I felt out of gas, and I've, I've been tired for a long time, um, at at different periods of my life, but, but there was, there was a point in which this tiredness kind of hit, like, a, a wall where I just, I really couldn't go, couldn't do much, um, and it was kind of like the Lord just sat me down and said, um, sit still for a minute, and I want to, I want to teach you, and so, um, kind of it came to a it came to a head a little bit in february every year i take two personal retreats i get away for three days and i just spend time with the lord uh, seeking his face seeking rest and refreshment in him and direction from him and so i did that in february Uh, realizing how tired i felt at that point um, and discouraged about any number of things i really just went with one goal i just asked the lord just meet me and strengthen and refresh me I'm not trying to plan any and make any big grand plans. I just want to be refreshed, uh, come back with some more joy, some more peace. Um, and so I went away for three days, and um, it was a struggle. Uh, I, I, I didn't, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't think very well. I, I, I sat down. I remember at one point I sat down that week, um, and, I, and I, I thought, you know, there's some, there's some issues in in family life and discipleship of my kids that I, that I that I really want to pay attention to. And I sat down with my Bible and a pen and a notebook, and I couldn't sustain a thought for 30 seconds. And I was like, something's wrong, because I care a lot about that. Um, there's some things I can't think about because I don't care enough, maybe. I care a lot about that, and I couldn't sustain a thought. And so after a couple minutes, I just closed my Bible, put my pen down, and either took a nap or went for a walk. And um, and so three days of, of very weekly, even, seeking the Lord, looking to Him for refreshment. And as I was driving home on the third day, uh, I just I was getting frustrated, and I uh, as I got closer to home, um, it, my frustration kind of bubbled up, and I started venting uh, out loud to the Lord in my car, and and I was I was complaining, I was I was raising my voice to the Lord, uh, letting him know how disappointed I was in this re- this retreat that was not refreshing, um, and and I just remember I, for I don't know you know it was an hour and a half drive and probably for. 30 seconds I'm venting to the Lord. I I went all I asked for was peace, more joy, more rest. Um and I and I'm coming home with none of these. I'm almost home, please give me something. And and as I am as the words are still coming out of my mouth, um I start slowing to a stoplight. And I look out my window to the left and I see a cemetery. Um and I hadn't noticed that cemetery before and um it I didn't just notice it as I noticed the cemetery coming up. There was this I don't know if you ever experienced anything like this It just felt like this is a big deal It felt like I was in the presence of god As i'm yelling at him and i'm pulling up to a stoplight and there's a cemetery and it felt this There was a there was a soberness to the moment where I felt like god's in this place God's in the car next in the in the seat next to me And and I and I finished my venting and I closed my mouth as I pulled up to the stoplight and came to a complete stop, I looked back out my window um, at the cemetery, and there was exactly one gravestone in my window view, and it said Anderson on it. And I I shut my mouth, and I don't think I spoke the rest of the time I was, until I got home. And it was a, a very, I had a very strong sense of God's presence in that moment. Uh, and, and And he spoke to me in that moment, telling me, I may not be giving you everything you're asking, but I hear you, and I'm with you, and I know you and I love you. And and, and that was that was a sufficient response in that moment for me to keep driving home um, with with a bit more humility perhaps uh, and a sense of God's presence. I went home that night, did my few hours with the family, went to bed. Um, really didn't know what would happen next, but I went to bed and I couldn't sleep. Uh had, had several hours of tossing and turning. I finally got up and just went out to my chair and, and I wrestled with the Lord through the night. And, um, and something, I, I don't know exactly still how to describe it, but something in me changed in the middle of the night that night where I, some kind of a surrender in my soul where I was like, whatever I have to do, I'll do it. I hadn't gotten there before. Um, I knew I was doing too many things. I wasn't doing anything well. But I was I was unwilling to to make any changes, even though my sweet wife would would tell me I needed to. And in that moment, something changed, and I said, "Whatever it takes, I'll I'll, I, I need, I'll do it. I'll do it." I didn't know what that meant, um, but um, but I was somehow some, somewhat surrendered in that moment. I well, uh, the next day got got the kids off on their way, and, and I went and sat in front of my computer for thirty minutes trying to live a normal life and couldn't, and went home, got in bed, and. Uh, and started conversations with my wife and the other pastors right after that telling them what was going on and didn't think i had much strength to take many steps forward at that point and thank god i work with people and i'm surrounded by people that love me and care for me and we're um, we're we're very very eager to say okay let's let's step back let's pause let's replenish let's um, let's see what the lord has in this but Back away from as much responsibility as you can and just seek the lord and just need a, you need a season of replenishing and And so stepped into that and and really the plan was for um six or seven weeks to just try to step back from as much leadership as I could and just seek the lord's face and so did that in various ways um and and then Uh As I was in that season where all I had to do was seek the lord right replenish me lord was my prayer. It became very clear very soon that if anything was going to change, it was not going to be because I was seeking the Lord really well. Because I felt so weak across the board. I felt weak in my seeking of the Lord. And I remember telling the Lord one day and then it became my daily prayer. Lord, if anything changes in me, it's going to be all of grace because I'm not even seeking you well. I kept reading my Bible. I kept seeking where I knew I could find the Lord and I just kept not finding him. Kept not finding strength. Kept not finding things I was looking for. I just kept feeling really weak, and um, I didn't understand. But uh, I had I had picked back up my Bible reading plan that I hadn't finished in December uh, in 2020. I gotten bogged down somewhere in Ezekiel, and so I just started picking up my reading plan where I left off and plowed through Ezekiel. Got through Daniel. Started in Hosea, and then the morning that I had put on the calendar to get back to work, go back to the office and start trying to take a step forward. Um, the, 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 that day, I couldn't sleep again the night before and I got up early and, and the Lord met me uh, in Hosea 6. The, the just opened up to the place where I was in, in my reading plan and in that moment, the Lord spoke to me. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where I, I believe every time I read God's word, the Lord is speaking to me, but there's some moments where it's like, no, he's actually saying that to my soul right now. And that happened, and it was the, the day I was planning on going back to uh, start picking up responsibilities and taking steps forward. And I was, remember, frustrated at the Lord that morning, like, You had these last six weeks, you had all my attention, and now I'm about to divide my attention up again, and now you speak. But I remembered as I was complaining again to the Lord that the day before I had actually looked back in my prayer journal, and in my weariness, I had just wrote, Lord, Would you give me a word of direction for this next season? That's all I'm asking. Give me a word of direction for this next season. And that next Monday morning is exactly what he did. And so Hosea 6 has become precious to me, and I want to just share a few things with you over the next two weeks and invite you to learn along with me. It's always dangerous to try to teach people something when you're in the middle of learning it. And so I feel very, very much like uh, if, if you learn anything, it'll be alongside of me with the Holy Spirit's help. So, um, but I believe that God's word is powerful and his spirit is willing. So uh, open to Hosea 6. J.I. Packer says that Jesus' most common way of speaking to us now isn't so much through him speaking new and fresh words to us, but rather personally applying to our consciences words that have already been recorded in scripture. And I have had that be the case in my life so many times as it was this one day. Um so Hosea six, it can be a little risky to just drop into a passage uh in the middle, especially in the middle of a prophetic book in the Old Testament, and, and just pretend like we know what's going on. Um, I don't recommend it. I'm a fan of opening my Bible, putting my finger somewhere and reading, and um every passage in Scripture has a God-given intent. And it will certainly have different implications for different people depending on your life and um, your life situation, but it won't have a categorically different meaning from what it had to the original hearers. And so, um, like I said, I was reading through the book of Hosea, and since we can't do that together, um, let me give you a quick flyover of what's going on. Um, I would recommend reading the book of Hosea. It, it really is beautiful. Study it. Don't just read it. If you just read it, you might get discouraged. If you study it, it will return uh, all the effort that you put in. So Hosea, quick flyover, Hosea was a prophet to Israel um, during the reign of one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II, uh, who led the nation into chaos as they experienced material prosperity, but jumped wholeheartedly into worshiping idols and trusting in uh, political alliances for their security and for their safety. Chapters 1 through 3 of Hosea, uh, there's this crazy thing. Man, being a prophet in the Old Testament— Um, Those guys have a special place in heaven. Some crazy things that God did, made Hosea do and become uh, in order to tell the story of God's faithfulness to his people and the people's unfaithfulness to God. Uh, In chapters 4 and 5, God tells how Israel is going to be defeated and exiled from their land because of their sin. And he indicates that even so, they will be restored in the future because of God's faithfulness to them. And as prophesied, it was just a little while after Hosea prophesied that Israel was exiled and conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. So in this, these opening chapters of Hosea, here's a couple verses that kind of summarize well what's going on. Verse uh, Hosea 4, verse 1, the Lord speaks directly to Israel's unfaithfulness and says this. He says, There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Chapter 5, verse 4, he says their deeds do not permit them to return to their God for the spirit of whoredom is within them and they know not the Lord. The word know in Hebrew, this is dangerous for me as well because I don't know Hebrew. Yada, the word that, that's translated know here, yada, is, uh, is more than just an intellectual knowing, like I know things about God. It's a relational knowing. I'm relationally in, I'm in relationship with him. I have relational Knowledge of who god is and that's what's being referred to here Israel's worship is hypocritical. They they think they know god. They think they know what he wants They think they can keep up some of their outward religious form Things like going to church making some sacrifices saying some prayers singing some songs all the while giving their hearts away To the gods of the nations around them giving their attention giving their time giving their money To the pretend gods of the nations around them and god says you don't know me and it's killing you So perhaps a very insufficient summary Of the book of hosea Remains very relevant for us today and it's this God wants his people to know him and experience his redeeming love God wants his people to know him and experience his redeeming love. So there's a quick flyover of the book that maybe lands us a little more faithfully uh, where we are in Hosea 6. So now let's drop into this passage that dropped in on me a couple months ago and see if we can hear what the Holy Spirit says to our hearts. Um, So follow along with me in Hosea 6. I'm going to read 1 through 6. Come, let us return to the Lord For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Lord, open our hearts to receive your word. We're mainly just going to pay attention to verses 1 through 3 today, and we'll pick up 4 through 6 next week. But here we've dropped into the middle of a conversation that God's having with his distracted, disloyal, distant-hearted people. And he's just said to his people at the end of chapter 5, if your eyes want to roam up or to the side, he says, I'm going to be like a lion to you. Tearing you up and carrying you away until you turn and seek my face. And then in chapter 6, starts with someone else's voice, signaling precisely that response. Come, let us return to the Lord. Whose voice is it? Is it Hosea's voice? I wonder, is it the last faithful Israelite's voice? Who just spoke up? kind of mysterious but in this moment it needs to represent our voice at the very least we are given these words so that we will use them an invitation to return to the lord or as verse 3 echoes, to press on to know the Lord. And that's really all I want to put in front of us this afternoon. It's all I want to set before us is an invitation to press on to know the Lord more. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, the invitation is press on, know him more. There's more to know. If you've been walking with Jesus for a few months, the invitation is the same, press on to know the Lord more. Maybe you haven't even started walking with Jesus. The invitation is, come, get to know the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm particularly, particularly burdened today for those who have perhaps walked with the Lord for a long time, but who aren't experiencing the life that knowing the Lord is uniquely able to give. And who among us hasn't been there at some point, right? So if you're bored or sleepy or apathetic or discouraged or entrenched in sin or you feel lost or exhausted or disheartened, your greatest need today is to know your God more deeply, more intimately, more truly, Next week, we'll talk more specifically about what God what God wants his people to know about him in this passage, but today we're just going to look at this invitation. I think we can see three ways that this passage can motivate us to press on to know the Lord together. Three ways that we can be motivated through this passage to press on. So let's look at those together. Number one, motivation number one, every death is for the sake of more life. Every death is for the sake of more life. Look back at verses one and two. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he'll raise us up that we may live before him. The lion of Judah, as the Bible sometimes refers to the Lord, cares fiercely about his glory. There is no higher or more worthy thing to care about. So when his people rebel against him, we see some of this fierceness as indicated at the end of Hosea 5. But let's be very clear that a fierce concern for his glory is not an altogether different thing from his fierce concern for the good of his people. Those are not different. Those are not at odds with each other. In fact, let me just say again what most of you probably already know, at least intellectually. God cares more about your well-being than you do. He cares more about your well-being than you do, and he does it a lot better. When God's people turn away from him and start devoting themselves to all kinds of hypocrisy and idol worship, Isn't the most loving thing that he can do is show up like a lion and get in the way of you making shipwreck of everything that matters? Is this not the kind of kindness that has drawn so many of us to the feet of Jesus when everything falls apart? But this discipline of the Lord, so to speak, isn't always easily traceable to outright rebellion of God's people. It's not always a return to the Lord because you've abandoned him. Sometimes it's merely a press on to know the Lord because there's more of him to know. Either way, unpleasant circumstances can be the catalyst that brings us closer to the Lord. Every death is for the sake of more life. This is a principle that God has hardwired into the world. Jesus spoke of this in John twelve twenty four when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And of course, he's not giving a farming lecture. He's speaking of his own approaching death why it's necessary, and he makes sure that we understand the implications this has for us in the next two verses. For everyone who follows him, he says this, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever loses his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. When Jesus speaks of hating your life, he doesn't mean you hate yourself and you despise living. He means you realize there's something far better than living a small, self-serving, self-satisfying, self-justifying existence with the few years you have on this earth. And he promises that those who die to that little kingdom, the kingdom of self for the sake of his kingdom, will find, as they follow, they will come to know that which is truly life. So it's the path to life. If the path of life for Jesus meant first passing through death, should we expect anything different? That's Jesus' point. He says it again uh, in places like Luke 9. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So this is the Jesus-affirmed path and pattern of Christian discipleship. Die every day, and every new death brings new life. I don't know what comes to mind for you when I talk about these Uh, little ongoing deaths in the life of a disciple of jesus if you're like me some of these little deaths feel like conscious choices that i make because i love jesus and want to know him more some of them feel like i don't have a choice at all and it's jesus making this death come because he loves me and wants me to know him more that's, to be honest, how this last season has felt for me. It wasn't traceable to outright rebellion or, or or wandering from the Lord as much as it was sit down and learn something. We have this promise, though, from Hosea and from Jesus and all through the Bible that we're struck down in order that God may bind us up. That after two days, Hosea says he will revive us. Well, if we're honest, if all of our struggles ended after two days, most of us would be okay with that. I think God has a different view of time than we do. I'm starting to. I'm starting to catch on to that. My most recent days have been several months, maybe more. I know some. Brothers, sisters, whose two days have been years. But the promise is real, and it's rock solid. However long our two days are, on the third day, he will raise us up. Every death is for the sake of more life. And so we can press on, and we must press on, and press on to know him because, motivation number two, true life comes from knowing God. True life comes from knowing God. Look back at verses two and three. He says, on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. There's this unspeak- this unbreakable connection between having life and knowing God. Now, mind you, we're not just talking about life in the basic sense of there's seven billion people alive on the earth right now. When the Bible talks about life, it's referring to that deeper life, that, that joy, that purpose, that peace, that satisfaction, fulfillment, that, 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 that it thing that was lost back in the garden when death showed up. And that's why this is precisely what Jesus keeps offering in his ministry. He, he's offering life life, to people that are breathing. He says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. John 10. He says, The water that I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 4. He says, John says, In him was life and the life was the light of men. And as the very one who John 1 says came to make God known. That's what Jesus did. Jesus' offer of life is an offer to know God. Listen to these very revealing words spoken by Jesus as he prayed to God the Father in John 17. He's praying and he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. True life comes from knowing God. More precisely, true life is knowing God. Let me explain what this means, just to make sure that nobody misses it. The life that you're looking for, that all of us are looking for, that joy, purpose, peace, satisfaction, fulfillment, the deepest longings of your soul are met and are only met in knowing God. It's the only way they're met. And since that process is a process that no one has completed yet, Jesus talks about it by saying things like the water that I give will become a spring of water welling up To eternal life. In other words, there's always more where that came from. Many of us in this room know God to one degree or another. In a loving, in a relational sense, the fact that we're still here doing this is evidence that at some point we have tasted and seen the goodness of God. We're living out of that goodness. But there's more where that came from. There's always more where that came from. None of us has reached the end point of the goodness of knowing the Lord our God. It doesn't matter how long you've been knowing him, you don't fully know him yet. There is more to be known problem is sometimes we just stop pressing in and pressing on sometimes we get complacent sometimes we get distracted sometimes we get discouraged sometimes we mistakenly think that the trouble that comes our way is an indication that god's not always cracked up to be or we'd be living in greener pastures Sometimes we forget that every death is for the sake of more life. Sometimes we forget that true life comes from knowing Him and that there's always more available than we've yet tasted. And here's our patient, steadfast, loving God inviting us to come closer. He's inviting us to come and press on to know him more. And all that your soul is longing for is found in that direction, I promise you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all your soul is longing for is found as you press on to know him? This might be where we need to just linger for a moment because this is one of those things where if you answered my question, yes, then it has to be looking like something. And if it's not looking like something, then we need to wrestle with whether or not we've actually stopped believing that it's true or maybe we've never started believing that it's true. So I ask you, what does pressing on to know the Lord look like in your life right now? What might the Lord be trying to teach you about himself even in this very season of your life? What's in the way of you wholeheartedly accepting this invitation from the Lord to come closer and know him more? Do you even believe that he means it? Those questions may be worth considering before the Lord and maybe before some friends this week. I've actually prayed for you this week that these types of questions wouldn't just be in one ear and out the other, but it would strike you as urgent because I think they are. Because you know what happens when life starts welling up inside of a person? When life is welling up inside of a person, God's word tells us that that person starts bearing fruit. The result of life is fruit, and that fruit becomes useful and nourishing and upbuilding for other people around you. Let's move on to the third motivation in this passage for pressing on to know the Lord. Number three is God will make himself known to those who seek him. God will make himself known to those who seek him. Look again at verse 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What's more motivating than the guarantee of success? He will bind us up. He will revive us. He will raise us up. He will come to us as the showers. As surely as the sun will rise tomorrow morning, our God will meet us as we press on to know him. Jesus said the very same thing in places like Luke 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. James said the same thing in his letter in chapter 4. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. These are promises from a God who doesn't lie. Let this sink in. God wants to be known by you. What? The infinite God wants you to know him. More than you do right now. Not just intellectually, I know this about God, I know that about God. He wants to be known relationally. Like in the way that you know your closest friend, but more. And because He wants to be known, He has not only invited us to draw near to know Him more, but He's promised that when we do, He will reveal himself to us. He will come to us, Hosea says. If that's not motivating, I don't know what is. Let that promise spark a fresh pressing on in your soul today. God will make himself known to those who seek them. Be one of them. Why not you? We've got three, I think, significant motivations for pressing on to know the Lord here in Hosea 6. And I do hope that you'll join me in pressing on. God made it very clear, and I'll say more about it next week, that there are some very specific things that I need to know more about the Lord. But I want to tell you that what, what has probably been the most encouraging and even maybe most motivating part of the last few months for me, personally. It's not just the fact that God has invited me to press on to know him more, as sweet as that is. It's a thrilling invitation, and it's exactly what I need. But what's been so sweet and so settling for my soul over these last few months is the fact that beyond God inviting me to know him more, God has once again reminded me of how well he knows me. I realize that my knowing of the Lord will remain limited until I'm finally with him, but thank God the reverse is not true. God's knowledge of you and me is perfect right now. Everything you're wrestling with, the things you've never spoken about, the doubts, the fears, the questions, the hurts. Perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge of every one of us. And he perfectly knows how to love us and how to lead us and how to grow us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, he said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Brothers and sisters, the only reason we can know God is because he has first known us. One theologian puts it this way, we know him by faith because he first singled us out by grace if I'm honest, I think the most encouraging thing for me through this whole season was kind of encapsulated in that moment when I looked out my window and saw a gravestone with my name on it. Not because I like thinking about my mortality, not because I look forward to my next little death, but because I was reminded in that moment something that the Lord has reminded me of every time I've needed it, that he knows me, that he sees me, that he hears me, that he's with me, and that he loves me. Christian, if those things are true at every moment of my life and yours, and they are, then we're going to be all right. We really are. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus recorded in John chapter 10. Speaking of himself as the good shepherd, Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We know him because he first knew us. We hear him because he's called us by name. How has Jesus demonstrated his perfect knowledge of you recently? Do you have eyes to see it? Even in the sorrows, even in the little deaths, how do you see his tender, personal care for you as he leads you onward? It's there, I promise. He knows you. He's with you. He is right now actively caring for you in just the right ways. And he's inviting you to press on that you might know him more. Because that's where you will find life. Remember that mysterious voice that dropped in at the beginning of chapter 6 out of nowhere? Look back at it for a second. The end of chapter 5 said. That God's people would be hopelessly lost until we acknowledge our guilt and seek God's face, but there was no one to lead the way. Perhaps that was Jesus' voice after all, leading the way, inviting us to follow him. Until our Redeemer showed up and opened the way for us to know God, there was no one to lead the way. He sought the Lord's face perfectly. He acknowledged our guilt. He has borne our grief. He has carried our sorrows. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of all of us. And as our Redeemer, our elder brother, hung on the cross in our place for our sin, can't you hear his voice tenderly inviting us to join him? Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. In a very real sense, that's what we're doing every week when we take the Lord's Supper. We're responding to the invitation we're reaffirming our union with Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection. Week after week, accepting his invitation to follow him and to press on and know the Lord more. Entering his holy this, this holy place of knowing God by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through his flesh, able now to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water.